Money is freedom, and freedom is fun. What we're going to talk about a little bit are some of the uh, books that have interested us or some of the reading that we've looked at. I guess thinking that that drives us and maybe that drives what we do for clients a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I've often said that I have never had an original idea in my life, but I'm pretty good at taking somebody else's idea and running with it. And so I think that's a function of why I do as much reading as I do. And I think that it's, I remember one time I, I went to a high school for one of those career days. People in the class asked about, you know, what I thought was important for an advisor. And when I said that I thought you had to read a lot, you could see their eyes shut off. <laughs> it's like they weren't interested. But I do think, you, you know, you really can't advise people very well unless you're aware of what's going on in the world around you. I'm astounded today at people who, you know, have no idea of current events or anything, not because I think they're hugely important, but because they provide the environment that we operate in. And I think it's important that you pay attention and that you're learning all the time. You know, that's that's one of the stories I like to tell about my kids and my my daughter, who's 13, almost 14 now. There was one day when she was in first or second grade and we were sitting there at dinner and she said to me, she said, Dad, I can't wait to get out of school so I can stop learning. (laughs) And and you could almost see my soapbox grow. Teachable moment. Teachable moment. Exactly. And so she she got a five-minute riff from dad about how you, you're never done learning. I had a guy I used to work with that was really funny, and, and uh, he hung his hat on the fact that he'd been doing this for 30 or 40 years, you know. And that was his primary credentials. He'd been doing it for a long time. And one day, one of the other guys that I worked with who knew him really well said, and I love this quote, he says, that guy doesn't have 40 years of experience. He has one year of experience 40 times. And I think that's that's a real problem. I mean, if you don't keep up, I mean, if you don't pay attention to what's going on around you, you get left behind pretty darn quick, especially with today's technology and stuff. And the fact that you've got a bunch of years of experience, if you haven't learned anything from those years, then it's not worth anything anyway. Well, and, you know, there are certain sort of universal principles that apply across time. But when you look at the rate of change and the pace of change and the pace of innovation right now, number one, it's one of the things that gives me optimism for the future. Yeah, yes. even even as there are challenging things going on in the world right now, there are a lot of very smart, very motivated people attempting to make the world a better place. That's capitalism. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And, and there, there's a certain amount of disruption and destructiveness in capitalism. And that always threatens people who've been around for a long time and have built up a really successful business or a lot of political power or whatever. But that's what drives change. That's what takes us the next step, you know. And so I heard I, the term blockbuster on the news the other day, a firm that went from being just wildly successful to irrelevant in... Well, Almost overnight. And mostly because of technology changes. Yep. That's, I mean, it happens all the time. So So Dan and I thought we would talk to you uh, about a couple of books that have really meant something to us. And the one that's at the very top of Richard's list is called The Power of Full Engagement. Managing energy, not time, is the key to high performance and personal renewal. It was written by Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz. And... 
the reason this book resonated so much with me, it's the fact that energy, not time, is the fundamental currency of high performance. A direct quote from the authors, from the authors, this insight has revolutionized our thinking about what drives enduring high performance. It has also prompted dramatic transformation in the way that our clients manage their lives, both personally and professionally. Everything they do, from interacting with colleagues and making important decisions to spending time with their families requires energy. And as obvious as this may seem as we're sitting here talking, we often fail to take into account the importance of energy at work and in our personal lives. And without the right quantity, quality, focus, and force of energy, we're compromised in any energy, in any, excuse me, in any activity that we undertake. And I read this book a number of years ago, but I keep coming back to it. One of, uh, I guess I'll put in a plug for Kindle here because one of the advantages of reading on a Kindle is you can highlight and you can easily go back on your iPad or your Kindle device and go back and find those highlights and in literally in 15 minutes refresh yourself on a book that, that may have taken hours to read, right? This was a book that we read as part of my financial advisor study group. Dan and I both have been involved in study groups for a long, long time and, and find tremendous value in them. And I would encourage any of you out there that are in a profession where you can get together some other folks that are like you around the country that do what you do, that it will improve your outcomes. But we read this book for our study group, and one of the very first things that happened as we first started talking about it was everybody started laughing at Richard. And the reason was, for years, whenever the study group would come up with an idea of something that I would not want to do, my very first response would be, you know, I just don't have any energy for that. And the the reality of it is, that's actually accurate. That which we have energy for, we will make time for. So when we say to somebody, I don't have time for that, what we're really saying is, I don't have any energy for that. Because we'll stay up 24 hours if we have to, to get something done that we have energy for. Right, Dan? Oh, exactly. I've seen this you know, many, many times where people say, uh, a classic one I sat at was a group of people sitting and talking and one of them, we started talking about conflicts of interest. And somebody had mentioned that, you know, my lawyer said that when I ask him something that he had a conflict of interest and somebody else laughed and said that, you know, that's just funny. When a lawyer says they have a conflict of interest, it means they don't want to do something because when they do want to do it, they'll find a way around the conflict of interest, either through disclosure or whatever. And that's really true of all of us and how we spend our days and stuff. I mean, sometimes we'll say, you know, I can't do this or I don't have time for this or whatever. And the truth is, it's just not something that captures our attention. We aren't willing to put extra energy into it. So I think it's a great revelation. It makes a lot of sense. So this book is oriented around four principles. And I'll spend just a little bit of time talking about each of them. The first one is that full engagement requires drawing on four separate but related sources of energy. Physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. All four are, are an important component of it. The second principle because energy capacity diminishes with both overuse and underuse, we must balance energy expenditure with intermittent energy renewal. And this is something that the author Nassib Tlaib has talked about. You know, he's written a number of very, very good books. Brilliant man. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And he's also an avid weightlifter. 
I don't know if you knew that. I did not. Uh, and so I've, I've read several things where his thinking aligns with mine on this because, you know, what my time in the gym is one of the most sacred things that I have in terms of what I do for me. But it's a constant balance of working hard enough to stretch yourself and to take yourself to the next level, but then giving yourself the time to recover. Because if you constantly train and overtrain, all you do is break your body down. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. It's the energy or the effort you put into it that makes you grow. So it's not just the physical growth. It's also the personal growth that comes from you know any kind of exercise, any kind of exercise routine. It's setting that time aside and saying, hey, this is this is something I'm going to work on. And it, it actually renews you rather than uses up your resources. So when you go into principle number three, to build capacity, we must push beyond our normal limits, training in the same systematic way that elite athletes do. And, and this is a key point. Stress is not the enemy in our lives. Actually, it's the key to growth. In order to build strength in a muscle, we must systematically stress it. And the same thing happens with our minds. I spent 25 years as an air traffic controller. And whenever I told someone that's what I did, I'm an air traffic controller, their first reaction is, oh, that's so stressful. And my standard response to this day, and a matter of fact, I just used it again yesterday, is that no, it wasn't stressful. It was intense. Well, one person's intensity yeah. is another person's stress. That's true. Right? That's true. Because, and I reminded our management team on a regular basis that air traffic control was a 25-year marathon, not a sprint. And you could not keep pushing your people too far too fast or you would just burn them out. Sure. You know, But for me, the intensity of it, I absolutely loved, but then you had the renewal of the downtime. And just like in our work as financial planners, you know, we do our clients' personal income tax preparation work. There's a season there in the spring from the middle of February to the middle of April where we know we're going to work very, very, very hard. But at the same time, once you move past that, everybody on the team knows there's going to be a period of downtime. There's going to be a period of recovery. But if you go straight from one intense season right into another without that renewal, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's the part that, that people just don't seem to get. You know, elite athletes, you know, when you think about the Olympics, you know, that's a once every four years event, right? And even football players or baseball players, the amount of time they're actually intensely doing their job really isn't that much. It's much less than it is for the average person who's spending eight hours at their desk or more, 10 hours, 12 hours, working 70, 80 hours a week. It's no wonder that people People burn out. Yeah, and I've always thought interesting because I've spent quite a bit of time, you know, studying elite athletes and stuff. And you know, the separation between an elite athlete and a good athlete is often in how they practice. Yep. You know, it's it's the, the classic 80-20 rule is the elite athletes know which actual actions or functions create the best outcomes, and that's where they put their studying efforts. And everybody else knocks them. So I mean what I always say, you know, the difference between Tiger Woods and you and me is that you and I can't practice the way Tiger Woods practice. I mean, I could not stand on a tee all day long working on my nine iron. You know, it, it would bore me. I, I, I just can't do that. Nor can most of us. But if that's what Tiger knows he needs to do to get better in his game, he will. I mean, if you've ever studied Tiger Woods, that's the way he is. He's that kind of competitive and that kind of focused. Well, that's the difference between him and everybody else on the PGA Tour, too, is that he can devote himself. And you see that with the elite football players, the elite baseball players. I mean, even, even in the locker room, they'll talk about that guy's work ethic. 
Yep. Okay. Because he has learned how to do that magic training that allows him to be elite or she. So it's it's really interesting. Well, and, and the thing that I think the takeaway for our listeners on this, Dan, is that it can apply to every dimension of our lives, not just the physical training. I think the physical training is an important part of it because I've believed for years that if you're physically fit and you push yourself physically, that ha- that helps your mental capacity too. But whether you want to develop empathy, develop patience, focus, creativity, you know, whatever the case may be, that you can apply those same training principles to those mental aspects as you can to the physical aspects. And, you know, that sort of simplifies things in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it, it's how, you, you know, Malcolm Gladwell did the 10,000 hours. Right. You know, and he argued that anybody who's elite has 10,000 hours of training and experience. Well, in the first place, most of us couldn't accomplish the 10,000 hours unless we set out to do it. But it's really interesting in how that plays out because his, his primary illustration of it was the Beatles. And he, he pointed out that, you know, where they got their 10,000 hours was when they played in little clubs in Hamburg, Germany, before they were ever discovered. And so his point was, you know, everybody, all of a sudden the Beatles exploded on the scene, but they already had 10,000 hours of live performances behind him. He says the average famous band today, whoever it is, you know, has a few hours of performance in their lifetime, especially today when you talk about all the studio magic that's done. You know, they make their records and stuff like that in the studio, not in front of live band. So basically what he says is, we all think of the Beatles as this phenomenon that happened overnight, but it wasn't. Is that they gathered 10,000 hours of experience playing before live audiences before we ever even heard their name. That's the elite. And to me, that applies to everything. It's what do you want to be good at? What does it take to get good at it? And then to devote yourself to doing that. And I, it plays real well with the 80-20 rule, which I use in almost everything in life. Yeah, that's right. And then principle number four, which is the last principle of this book, was that the positive energy rituals, so highly specific routines that you develop for managing your energy are the key to full engagement and sustained high performance. All of us realize that change is hard, right? It's difficult. And we're all creatures of habit, both good habits and bad habits, right? Absolutely. And the point that they made is that it it's very likely that whatever whatever we're doing today, we're going to continue to do tomorrow, right? So if we want tomorrow to be better, our most obvious choice is to make the rituals of today and then tomorrow and the next day compatible with what we want out of our life. And most people don't do that. They just fall into a routine and it's the same thing, whether it's sitting in front of the television at night or, you know, eating the wrong foods not getting enough sleep, whatever the case may be, we have the ability to develop the same kind of good habits and replace them with, you know, replace the bad habits. You know, my kids, I have a, almost, like I mentioned, an almost 14-year-old daughter, I've got a 16 and a half year old son, and they look at me like I have two heads when I leave the house at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday and Sunday to go to the gym. But that's the same thing I do on Monday through Friday because that's what I want to do. That's my that's my routine. You know, some people like to, I know Dan, you work out over the lunch hour. Some people like to go after work. My personal preference is to climb the mountain first thing in the morning. I feel like the whole rest of the day is downhill after that. And you know, the point is, I think, and this is what I see about a lot of people who come to me about finance or investment or whatever is, you know, most people kind of live their life 
the illustration I use is the old pinball machine with the silver ball. And you, you know, you whack it and send it up there. And then the ball bounces off of everything and no control at all. It just bounces off of everything. You get a chance down at the bottom to flip it back up or let it go. I think a lot of people kind of live their life like that silver ball. You know, they just kind of whatever they bump into, they respond to it. But there's no deliberate thought about what's the next move. What do I want to accomplish? What am I going to do when that obstacle pops? up. And I think that that's part of what you're talking about with the routine is we can't control everything and maybe we can't even control most things, but we can control some things. Yep. And, and that's the issue is are you going to exert control over those things you can or are you going to live life like a pinball in a machine where you just bounce from one obstacle to another, you know, for 70 years and then hang it up? Well, you know, and the reality is all of us have a limited amount of sort of will and discipline that we can bring to the table, right? And it and it's an expendable resource and it goes down as we go throughout the day. And I can tell you when I was developing my habit of working out in the morning, one of the problems I had was I would wake up up, you know, at whatever time the alarm went off, 5.30 or 6, and think, oh, I got to get all my clothes together. I got it, it just seemed overwhelming, right? And you roll over and go back to sleep. So what I did, and I still do it to this day, every night before I go to bed, I lay out the clothes I'm going to take to wear to the office that day. They're all ready to go. And the clothes I'm going to wear to the gym are laying right there. So I don't have to literally have a conscious thought until after I get to the gym. <laughs> Grab them and go. That's exactly right. And it, it enables me to get Get moving in a, without having to think that early in the morning. You know, it, it's interesting because I do similar thing at noon when I work out. I go to the YMCA almost every day at noon and work out. And people say, "Oh, well, how do you, you know? How do you, I don't have time to do that? How do you do?" But they don't understand. The main reason why I worked out is to control my weight. That's the primary thing for me. And lunches at work were another problem in controlling my weight. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the business lunches and stuff like that. First of all, I think they're over. Rated. You spend an awful lot of time sitting around the table and nothing gets accomplished. But number two, it's a lot of calories I don't need in my life. So I solve two problems at one time by not going out to lunch every day. So I do have a routine. It probably takes me about an hour and 15 minutes, but I'm the same way as you. I know what time I go get in my car. I know go to, you know, by the time I shower and get back to the office, it's an hour and 15 minutes later. But it really helps my day in a number of different ways. It's part of me being in control. People say, well, I just don't have time to do that. Well, I make time to do it. That's why it works for me. Yep, that's exactly right. So for you as as the listeners, if you look at any part of your life where you're consistently effective, look beyond that and I think you'll find habits that are in place that are making that work for you and making you effective. And then think about the areas of your life where you're not as effective as you would like to be. And then where can you apply positive habits, positive rituals that will you enable you to make those same kind of changes to the areas is where you're already effective. I, I just think it's uh, it's simple. And, and, and the best, frankly, the best concepts are simple, right? And, Absolutely. And and you then can can put them to work. But it, it takes, I forget what the statistics are, the, the number of days it takes for a habit to become ingrained. It's yeah, a absolutely. certain number of weeks or a certain number of hours or whatever the case may be. But once they're there, both positive habits and negatives, they're ingrained. And so work on the positive ones. It'll, it'll help you get where you want to go in life. And it applies to everything. 
What does your personal freedom tour, aka retirement, look like? Who is going with you? What do you want to experience along the journey? These are the topics of conversation you'll find around the table at Family Investment Center, a commission-free investment firm founded in 1998. We'll help you plan your freedom tour step-by-step, and we never take commissions for products we sell. Why? Because we believe investment advisors should always act toward the best interests of their clients. Come join us today at our table and find out why sources like The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and others talk to us about our unique approach to investing and why our clients love us. Learn more today at the podcast Money is Freedom, available on SoundCloud and iTunes.